Welcome to another edition of the Litigation Psychology Podcast. Dr. Bill Kanaski. This podcast is brought to you by Courtroom Sciences. My guest today, my colleague, very close colleague, and someone I absolutely love working with, Ava Hernandez. Ava, how are you? I'm well, Bill. How are you? I, I woke up bitter. I woke up, I woke up bitter. So I, I just I'm going right into my and before it just 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 so people don't just click off at this point because they know what I do. Uh, we're gonna be our, our topic today is really really important. And again, whether you're um, a, a defense attorney or a plaintiff attorney, th this is a really really important topic. And that's the topic about witness mental health and how it can really derail their testimony. And um, we've seen it in more cases than not. And because of our backgrounds in psychology, you know, we're able to detect it and, and, and able to, I think, you know, prevent it from derailing a, a deposition or trial testimony. So we're going to focus on that today uh, to share our experiences and give uh, attorneys, again, whether they're defense or plaintiff attorneys, it really doesn't matter. You have clients and your clients have to testify. And if they have mental barriers, emotional barriers to testifying, it, it's going to screw up their testimony. And before I get into that, let me just tell you why I woke up angry. And this has been a persistent waking up angry um, lately. And I've talked about this at least once um, on a different podcast. So I'm dying to get your views, uh, Ava. Um, th this tipping thing is out of control. Oh, it's, tipping. it's out of control. Yeah. I, 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 I'm at the airport. Um, I'm at the airport. It was actually O'Hare, right in your neck of the wood. By the way, I'm wearing my Wrigley Field. I see that. Uh, Cubs on fire right now, post-All-Star break. And I'm going, to, I'm going to a game next week at Wrigley, so I can't wait. Oh, nice. So, so I, I, I'm, in, I'm in the airport, and I'm going to one of you know the, the stores in the airport, right? What, what do they sell? Well, they sell a bunch of snacks. Uh, they have their, you know, waters, you know, Gatorade, monster drink you know all all that stuff <clears throat> you know magazines whatever and then i go to the checkout counter and what what do i have you know i have a bottle you know, i have a bottle of water mm -hmm. and protein that's like my standard operating procedure bottle of water protein bar right and i get up there and she's like you know it's you know 10 50 or whatever it is and i'm telling you there's there's a jar next to the, the, the right right where i'm checking out my credit card yeah. that says tips appreciated and there's money in the jar yeah okay yeah. I, I think i think that's absurd yeah okay i think that's absurd but let me let me let me give you a more let's <laughs> this, this, this make this more realistic and I, I want i just i want your opinion if we differ on this opinion there's nothing wrong with it even though i'm always right but let me throw it out there okay you go to a coffee shop and you just get a coffee. The only thing you walk up to the counter and you just order a coffee. Mm -hmm. They say four fifty five, whatever it is. And then they right, they you insert your card or whatever. And then up on the screen, what's the first thing that comes up? Tip amount. Tip. And it says no tip, 15%, 20%, 25%, something like mm -hmm. that. Right? Mm -hmm. Now, just for a cup of coffee in that situation, the only thing they're doing is turning around. Pouring the coffee, giving it right to you. Do you tip? Yeah, I got to be honest with you, Bill. I do. I usually choose that like $1 option and I do it. I'm with you though, that the tipping culture tip. here is, it's ridiculous. It is I don't, ridiculous. I do not tip yeah. in that situation. I refuse to yeah. tip in that situation. And so I did this the other day. Yeah. 
and and they can see what's going on so, and i hit no tip uh -huh. and the, the look on her face was like yeah. appalled but i'm thinking you know why you know if you want to make more money why should i the customer be subsidizing subsidizing that no ask for a raise or you know have starbucks or dunkin donuts or whatever it is pay you more money why should that go through me mm -hmm. now it's table service i always tip and i adjust that tip based on the experience but just pour me a cup of coffee i'm sorry i'm i'm, I'm not doing it yeah i'm not doing it and yeah. by the way can you talk about the psychological pressure once oh, so much yeah it's someone's it's staring right at you yeah it's it's unbelievable it's just it's it's out of control and I know yeah. we can talk about economy, recession, minimum wage. Sure. It's, not, it's as the as the customer. It's not my problem. Don't push it on me, Starbucks. Dunkin' don't don't push it on me to give your employee more money. Give them mm -hmm. more money. Oh, I agree with that wholeheartedly. That's, that's and the tipping yeah. was designed. By the way, the tipping was designed because there's laws for servers, for waitresses, waiters, because by law they only get paid. $2.50 an hour because the majority right. of their income is coming from tips, right? Right. right. But now you get somebody at Starbucks or Dunkin' Donuts, they're make they're not making 250. Mm -hmm. Yet they still want the tip. Mm -hmm. I I'm I'm not doing it. Yeah. It's and become a cultural thing at this point that's kind of gone all out of whack. You know, now what I would recommend, <laughs> I would recommend that you take your time as you pay so they don't spit it like a big loogie in your coffee, <laughs> right? Right. You want probably yeah. wise. Yeah. You want to get the wise. coffee first. <laughs> yeah. Right. And there, there's the other thing. Like if you if you if you go to Starbucks, th they want you to tip before you even get the product. What's up with that? It's mm -hmm. like, well, wait, wait, wait a second. So I want to pay mm -hmm. for it. Then you want me to tip you. <laughs> well, what if it's a shitty pro a pro product at the end? I've already tipped. Yep. The tipping's supposed to be for the experience, the service, and I'm pre-tipping. <laughs> It's called yeah. pre-tipping. Like they pre-board on the plane. Don't get me started on that. It's pre-tipping. Okay. See, this is just out of control. But that's that's uh -oh. my that's my rant for the day. Speaking <laughs> of mental health, because my mine has just been off the, you know, off the rails. Um, so yeah, we 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 both have experience in clinical psychology and we work in litigation. And, you know, a lot of, um, I get the, I get the question a lot from attorneys, like, how did you get into this? Right. Mm -hmm. Everybody has their story, but you and I well know that, um, you know, half of our job, half of our job, well, the other half is, you know, exploring, um, jury decision-making you know, scientifically and mm -hmm. you know, gathering data, analyzing that data and telling our clients, you know, what their case is really about from the jury level, both from a liability standpoint and damages standpoint, but the other half, I mean, 50% of our job is training witnesses to testify both in dep deposition and trial. Mm -hmm. And of those, you know, it's mostly deposition because so, you know, not a lot of cases go to trial. Right. It's a lot of deposition uh, uh, training. Mm -hmm. And what I have found in 20 years of doing this, and I think one of the things that makes me so effective at this job is that mental issues right, uh, play a huge role in, in the quality of, of the testimony. And, 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 and many of these witnesses come into the litigation, and I get, we can kind of talk about the spectrum of what we see. Mm -hmm. Every witness, okay, 95% of the witnesses come in with some sort of, I mean, it's a lawsuit. I'm going to be 
I'm getting sued. I'm going to be deposed, right? And they have tested. Mm -hmm. So at the minimum, we're seeing ele elevated anxiety, right? nervousness, fear. Yes. And all of those can interrupt cognition, right? So Absolutely. number one thing that interrupts cognition and, and can and can spoil that testimony but you and i have also seen some some much much deeper things we've seen we've seen undiagnosed mood disorders depression um many witnesses with ptsd uh look at the trucking in uh, uh the, the the trucking industry and we work with truck drivers to to prepare them well they they've been in a terrible accident yeah. oftentimes with catastrophic injury or death or maybe they've even been hurt themselves Right. Um, that's a that's a huge mental burden and what i see in the litigation process are defense attorneys and i'm sure plaintiff attorneys that don't really see that or are able to appreciate it attorneys it's not your fault yes unless you have a degree in psychology i would not expect you to pick up on these things right or if you do pick up on him, you're like, yeah, everybody's nervous going into depth. Well, no, it, it can it can get it can get a lot more deep uh, than that. Um, Ava, can you can you talk about um, again? We'll kind of start generally, and we'll we'll get more specific. You know, your experience um, with witnesses and some of the things that that you see that that that, that oftentimes the 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 trial attorney just it does not see for whatever reason. Yeah, I think, I mean, what you just said, Bill, about the spectrum of things that we see, I think is spot on because that's exactly what it is. There's sort of the inherent anxiety and stress that exists for pretty much anybody going into this process, right? Unless you're intimately familiar with the legal system, it's pretty freaking stressful to get a subpoena and have to show up, you know, to testify, right? Or even be a party to a case and all the stress that comes alongside of that being named in a lawsuit, Right. So we see an awful lot of that, and that can manifest in a lot of different ways. I mean, I think it could be a little bit easier for all of us in general and certainly certainly attorneys to recognize stress in certain people over others. You know, I think a lot of times what I'll see is, especially in the trucking industry, you get these you know, these these men who've been on the road for a long time, you know, that are that are tough, right? And there's a different way that their stress levels were manifest. And so sometimes I hear attorneys say, oh, he's fine. And then after talking with an individual for a little while, I go, no, he's not fine, right? Yeah. He's just not acting stressed out in a way that you typically recognize, right? So you kind of push it to the side. So I see that a lot where it's, oh, this, this individual's doing great, right? But after a little bit of rapport building after spending some time with them you realize there's something a little bit deeper there that we just haven't gotten a chance to uncover in the litigation process because it doesn't really make space or, or room for the kind of mental health issues that tend to come up yeah can, can you speak a little bit too because we see this all the time and the reason why that erroneous assessment gets made is the attorney says yeah i talked to him on the phone the other day they're great okay once you get them out of that truck or you get the nurse out of the hospital, right? Or the doctor mm -hmm. out of surgery or the, the business owner out of the corner office and you bring them into the law firm and they put their phone away and now they're really forced to 100% process what's going on, okay? Mm -hmm. Can you talk about how witness, and by the way, this is a common defense mechanism and we all do it is they take any stress, anxiety, depression, guilt, whatever it is, and boy, they bury it. 
they bury it just because yes. they want to get by. They have families, they have friends, they have jobs. They're not thinking about this stuff 24-7. And they bury it. They suppress it. And then when they come into the legal environment, you know, we force them to bring it up. Can you talk a little bit about how witnesses do that and, and why they do that? And on one hand, it is a healthy defense mechanism. So you're not a lunatic all day. Hey, right. litigation's a long time. What if you're a lunatic all day just thinking about this, right? But then how that can actually hurt you in the in the witness prep? Yeah, I mean, I think that absolutely it is perfectly normal and everybody does it, right? All everybody. this stuff is coming at us. I don't want to have to deal with it. There's too much to deal with. We're all human. We can only take so much, right? So of course, all these stressors that are kind of sitting in our face, we're going to want to dumb that down a little bit, minimize it, not have to look at it all the time, right? We don't have to want, we don't want to process it necessarily, have to put it on the table, acknowledge what's going on, you know, stare. I always tell people, you know, when I'm working with witnesses, I say, hey, listen, we can't change the situation, right? Let's at least put it on the table so we can look at it clearly. Let's manage what's in front of us. Let's at least acknowledge what's in front of us and then we can deal with it. Because until we've kind of gathered everything up into a pile, we don't even really know what we're working with, right? And so, of course, people in general and witnesses stuck in this stressful situation don't want to have to deal with this. And I think sometimes witnesses also feel kind of an, an implicit, sometimes maybe even explicit pressure from the litigation team and from kind of being involved in that process to put on a happy face and to act like they're kind of okay and, and capable of managing everything that's going on. In general, who wants to kind of admit to the fact that they're having a tough time, right? And people definitely don't want to admit to that fact in front of someone in a position of authority, in front of an attorney or someone who's supposed to be kind of holding everything together, right? So I think there's sometimes a little bit of pressure for witnesses to appear as though they're doing better than they really are. Right. But if they don't actually process that, if they don't acknowledge what's coming up for them, then that's going to come out. Right. It doesn't just go away from us. We know right from so much study and so much research into human behavior. What's going on in our minds doesn't just disappear if we choose to ignore it. Right. Or if we can't handle it for yeah. whatever reason, it lives, it stays, it's going to come out somehow. Right. So it's better to process it in kind of a structured environment where they can be taken care of and that can work out. Right. Yeah. Then for that to come out in the middle of testimony when they're triggered in some way, when they get asked a question that's a little bit strategically manipulative or a little bit cruel yeah. in some way and it hits a button and they haven't had a chance to process that yet. And it all comes out right in that moment. Right. Yeah. And it's over. It's not like they yeah. have any it's not like they have any control of it over it, right? And no. then and then in my experience, unfortunately, the the witness usually gets blamed yes. by the attorney or the client. Like, oh yes. you know, they couldn't maintain their composure. Well, yes. it, it really wasn't assessed. So let me tell so I so I I, I prepped a witness, I trained a witness yesterday. Mm -hmm. And I asked the attorney the day before, I'm like, hey, you know, for like what type of person is this? And they said, Well, he's a really nice guy. He's a nice guy. In fact, if anything, like we need more confidence. He's kind of meek and, and, and quiet. He's a nice guy. You know, he's not going to have any problems, you know, like blow it up or anything like that. You know, it's just like we have to build him like we have to give him more energy. I said, OK, fair enough. Mm -hmm. So I sat down yesterday. This is yesterday. And in the first 20, I'm introducing, you know, you got a first step we did build rapport. Hey, here's what I do. Here's why I'm here. We go over all this stuff. So you get to like the 20, 30 minute mark. And I asked the question, I said, how is this lawsuit impacting you? 
-hmm. emotionally. I said, and here's why I asked that. I do this with every single witness. Mm -hmm. As I said, some witnesses come into this room and they, they're scared shitless. Mm -hmm. scared to death. Others come in, you know, they're really nervous and anxious about the process. They've never been through it. Other people come in and, you know, they're, they're mad. They, they think this is a bullshit lawsuit. They're, they're, they're fuming. Mm -hmm. Go every witness, every single witness has some sort of emotion. You know, sometimes it's light. Sometimes it's, a, but every, every witness has it. I go, where are you on this spectrum? <laughs> Ava, this guy bursts out in this angry, this diatribe and just goes on for 15 minutes about how epically pissed off he is. Mm -hmm. And just turning red and pounding the table and, and I didn't do anything wrong. I can't believe I'm getting, and just, it, it, it all comes out, right? And then we get to the end of that, get, let him vent it out, which was, by the way, very, very positive. Because now I know, haha, I found it. And now I can do something with it. We'll talk about that. Right. And at the end of kind of like the hour, right? So we let him go on his, you know, 20 or 30 minute thing. And, you know, he got all worked up. So we got to the hour, like, you know, hey, perfect time for a break. He's like, can I go use the I app, go use the restroom, make a phone call, and I'll come back in 15 minutes. Witness leaves. The attorney looks at me and says, what the blank was that? What the F was that? What was that? And I go, well, obviously, there's some anger issues with your witness. They're like, that's impossible. I, I didn't see that. I said, you didn't ask. You didn't ask. They're like, how did you do How did I do it? Well, because I'm some brilliant clinical psychologist. I, I, I asked. Mm -hmm. I asked. And mm -hmm. I asked in a very special way. Yes. I set this up to be non-threatening, right? Yes. I said, number one, every witness comes in with some sort of emotion. You normalized it. I normalized it. Everybody does. In fact, here are some of the examples I have recently seen and what I've seen over 20 years. Mm -hmm. I make it multiple choice. And I'm like, where, where are you at? And boom, mm -hmm. right? Now, correct me if I'm wrong. If I would have come in and just kind of left it open-ended and be like, you know, hey, how you feeling? You know, okay, yeah, we're going through this prep process. How are you doing emotionally? What are the odds I'm going to get there? Probably slim to none. Because right? yeah, they feel like they're being cross-examined. Yeah. And, 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 and this is not just a, I think this whole male-female thing is overrated. Everybody's got emotion. And yes. I don't think oh men handle this or you know, we experience it a certain way, but absolutely. Oh, we've, we've all got it in this situation. Absolutely. And, and I if you ask a woman or a man in a way that says, Hey, how you feeling about this? You're gonna get you're gonna hit a wall, right? You're gonna hit a wall. You haven't normalized it, you haven't given the array of options you see, mm -hmm. and the likelihood of them um opening up to you, I think it's pretty slim. Can you talk about some of the ways you, first of all, because remember, I had to connect. Remember, this is a stepwise process. I have to connect with, I have to gain their trust first. Mm -hmm. In the first two minutes of the depth. Hi, how you do? I, I'm Bill. I'm the I'm the witness consultant. So tell me about your deep, dark uh, yeah. psychological <laughs> issues related to this case. They're right. going to be like, screw you. Yeah. Talk to me about your, because you've been very successful at this. And I want to tell you, I've had clients, my clients call me and tell me after your preps, like, oh my God, Ava's amazing because she can connect with the witness like no other. 
And then we learn so much about the witnesses experience through Ava that we could never get there ourselves. How do you personally handle it? Well, thank you for that, first of all. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think exactly what you said, it's about the connection, right? I'm a stranger, I'm going in there cold, right? And here's this person that I'm trying to ask, like you said, okay, now tell me, you know, your deepest, darkest trauma from this specific situation, let's go, right? That doesn't work so well. So I definitely spend a decent amount of time, especially at the beginning, normalizing the entire process, right? Sometimes I put myself in the room a lot and I really let the witness know, hey, here's why I'm here and here's why I care about this, right? I give them typically a little bit of a background of myself, right? I tell them, hey, I came from a place where... I didn't come from a place where there were lawyers in my family, right? I didn't come from a place where this was all very normal to me, where you're kind of sitting at a table talking with a bunch of people in suits. This is yeah. this is so foreign, right? This is strange. I acknowledge from the get-go how strange that whole world is, which I worked for lawyers for over 10 years. I love lawyers. I love the legal industry. I love the whole world. And I think a lot of people, including many attorneys who didn't come from that background as well, can appreciate that it is a really specific world, right? Yeah. It's a really different, entirely different scenario. Most people only understand about the law from TV, right? We have such a warped kind of very uber dramatic understanding of what that's like. So people are freaked out going in, right? It's kind of like a hospital setting, right? People are yeah. just kind of automatically freaked out already walking in. So I really normalize that. I don't make that seem strange. So I give them the opportunity to say how stressed they are just under the exact scenario that they're in, right? <laughs> And really acknowledge how odd all of this is and spend a little bit of time just sitting there with them in that, in the discomfort of them being in an unfamiliar scenario with people that they don't know. And yet they're required to sit there and, and answer every question, right? They're required to be as vulnerable, right, as we need them to be. And that's a lot to ask of anybody to say, no, 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 you have to sit there and you have to respond affirmatively to everything. You can't give non-responsive yeah. answers. You got to say what you're feeling. So to get there into that comfort level takes a little bit of time and a little bit of work but it's it's really yeah. worth it because exactly what you said it's it's I think sometimes in the witness prep I've had things where halfway through if we're doing a few sessions sometimes the attorneys are like it's getting worse before it gets better how come now we're just hearing about all the bad stuff we're spending too much time talking about all the yeah. stressors not talking about the positive things that's the normal psychological process of how things go. I right. would be much more alarmed if we weren't talking about this, if they were closed off about it. We yeah. need to actually get this out and process it in order to then get to a place where this isn't at the forefront of their minds. You brought right? up something so important that, and by the way, every attorney I work with freaks out. like Because yeah. they don't understand the process. Yeah. Said it. I'm going to repeat it. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Every yeah. single success story we have. See, people think, right? It's like, okay, here's the witness. We've just hired you. We want you to take the witness from here to here. Right. No, that's right. not what I'm going to do. Yeah. The witness is going to go from here to here. Yes. To here to here. It's like a stock, yeah. right? Look at Tesla's stock. It's not just a straight yeah. line. There's some up and down. And it's going to end in the right spot, but you right. got to have the valleys because otherwise those valleys will be exposed during the deposition, right? Right. Now, we've talked about the, the inherent stress of a case, but something that's equally as important. We've talked about this before in the podcast. I have put this in a lot of my speeches and CLEs. Again, not getting enough attention. And again, more value that you and I bring because we know the questions to ask. We know how to find it. 
Ava, talk about um, personal issues causing mental and emotional, uh, completely unrelated yeah. to the litigation. So we got your litigation stress, right? That's right. all got to be assessed. We just cover right. that. But now in the same assessment, I've got to determine, are you going through a divorce? I, this is all the stuff I, I, I see it every week. Divorces, um, sick children, being a caregiver for a parent or another family member, mm -hmm. financial problems, uh, uh, work issues, work stress. I can go on and on and on. Talk to me about, so here's how I do it, right? I do the same thing. So I get through chapter one. I go, okay, chapter two, I go, now, I go, a lot of the witnesses I work with have other things going on in their lives that's impeding their ability, you know, to be good witnesses, for example. And I list all those things. And so the second question I ask is, do you have any other things going on in your life that may impede your ability to focus on, you know, preparing for your deposition? And that's where it comes up. And I see, I see witnesses emotionally distraught or just their gas tanks on empty because, you know, they're dealing with a, a spouse or a parent that's going through chemotherapy and no one knows because no one asks. Can you talk about some of those, how the personal issues, if not asked about and, and not processed and not dealt with, well, we're going to end this with kind of what to do. But if you, if you don't assess that, how that can rear its ugly head in, in, in deposition or, or trial testimony. Yeah, absolutely. And I think even what you said, Bill, about um, just asking the question, right? And they're saying, well, no one asked, right? I think even with the, the trial team, the litigation team, you know, with, with us involved, the witness hearing us inquire into their life, hearing the ways in which their attorney and their, you know, their team, their litigation team is caring for them, like sort of structurally, systemically, in order for them to be able to show up and testify appropriately. I think that's huge. I've had some witness trainings where we've worked with the attorney and the attorneys have been, fan I mean, just incredible, fantastic, and willing to kind of work with the witness when it comes out. Oh, I'm so stressed out. I can't do this deposition because I actually lost my job and blah, blah, blah. Right. Yeah. And I've had some attorneys step up and offer to do really kind things for their clients and for the people in the witnesses that they're working with, right? Or even just by talking about it and give them a place to air their concerns, they understand that we care enough to work around whatever the heck's going on in their life, right? They're being, again, they don't really have a choice in the matter a lot of the time if they're a party to the case or if they've been subpoenaed to, you know, come in and testify, they gotta be there whether they like it or not, right? So let's at the very least try to work with them in their lives. I think that that goes so far for establishing the trust even between the attorney and the witness or the attorney and the, and the, and the you know, the party to the case, you know, the defendant or the plaintiff. It, it's, it's huge, but a lot of it is absolutely an assessment. It's again, normalizing, as you said, Bill, right? Saying I've seen this, I've seen this example, I've seen this example. Here's what someone in your position recently, you know, told me and those sorts of things, letting them know that that's normal, and then maybe educating the witness as well in the ways in which just, again, not yeah. uh, speaking to them specifically, but from a just a broad educational standpoint, here's some of the ways that outside stressors can affect what's going on internally. Here's some of the ways that, you know, cognitively things can go offline if we don't have our full capacity involved at all times, right? And really let them know from an educational standpoint what can go on so that they are more willing to even understand what's happening to them, right? Yeah. And then willing to work with it.
which is pretty key. So now let's talk about what to do about it. Yeah. Now, again, there's a wide array here. Now, we, despite our training in psychology, and this is very important, we don't have patient provider relationships with 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 the witnesses. We have we have we have work product relationship, attorney client privilege relationships um, as we're part of the litigation team and protected by those two two things, but it's a consulting um, relationship. So um, there are many things I know that we can do. Uh, number one is this kind of basic therapeutic positive talk. Okay, it's going to be okay. I, I say, listen, we're, and again, I'm going to pat, I'm going to pat myself on the back here, but you know, I tell them, I'm like, Hey, you're about to go through the best training program on the planet earth. Okay. And, and our witnesses do really great. And you're about to go through that. You, your insurance company or your boss or your company has invested the time and the money to take care of you. Right. And we've we've got the bad guys blueprint. We've got their playbook. And you're nervous. We're gonna we're gonna teach you. You're you're gonna again. It's gonna get worse before it gets better. I always tell. <laughs> I'm gonna scare you more before you you leave. But you're gonna leave here happy at the end of a day or two days or whatever the training length is. Um, you know that I, I think I think that's really important to build them up to say, hey, you've got a you've got a great team here, okay? Yes. And then get them through the process. But then when they go home, right, they could go back to you know having problems. So I teach things that I, I would teach anybody, and you don't need a patient provider relationship. Yeah, you know, positive thinking. Mm-hmm. Hey, it's going to be okay. I've got a great team. Not everything we we you know Steve and I wrote that paper about the thirteen cognitive distortions people have they catastrophize right. it's the end of the world well no it's not and here's why okay right. and you you can educate them on that get them and teach them we can't go into all this today but there's ways to teach positive thinking habits absolutely and I give them homework to do okay mm-hmm. different, different podcasts we can take a deep dive into that you know another thing is just um, um, breathing exercises, right? You could teach witnesses how to how to breathe, just like you teach somebody, you know, I teach attorney, a lot of, we don't advertise this a lot. Attorneys call me a lot because they they want to reduce their anxiety before they give their opening statement, right? It was, okay, yes. well, here's what you do in the 30 minutes before. And we work with the attorneys, we teach them, okay? Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's, there's, there's things like that that we can do to send them home with some homework. I'm a big believer because it's scientifically proven. The huge study just came out two months ago that that moderate exercise three to five days a week beat any SSRI or, or anxiety medication out there. And effectiveness, mm-hmm. get moving people, right? I, so I get them, yeah. um, nutrition, sleep hygiene, all this stuff that we can we can do enough based on our training to give them the tools and the guidance to do some of these things on their own, and that works ninety percent of the time. And then if we if we have additional sessions with them, we can follow up on that and and do those types of things. Uh, I'm sure you do those same types of things. Highly effective. However, Ava, and you're going through this right now. Talk to me about when you detect something as a consultant that you know eh, this is this is going to require a patient provider relationship, some something outside of this legal team to help this particular witness. Yeah, I've I've had a, a few of those, and I mean that's something that um, 
is very complicated, right? It's very yeah. complicated. And that's something that I've even brought up in several sessions with witnesses, you know, where I've brought up things like I've said, hey, is there anyone that you can speak to about this, right? Yeah. Is there any way that, you know, is, is, do you have any kind of, have you, hey, have you ever thought about talking to someone? I kind of broach that conversation and suggest that to certain people because yes absolutely a lot of the time we'll see some things where we think you know this is this goes beyond right what what we can accomplish here and and in order to get this individual to their highest level of well-being they could use some outside help like we all can at some points in our lives right so I think suggesting that to the individual is something that I've done a few times right you know or and but I'm I'm right with you, Bill. I'm very much, I come from a, a bottom-up approach, right, as they say in psychology, which is let's concentrate on the things that are seem really basic and obvious, like, you know, health and things I tell, as you do, right, I tell the witnesses, can you, how about, are you getting enough sleep, right? Make sure you eat something with protein before you have to sit up there for six to eight hours and testify, right? Those sorts of things, because the more that our, our bodies are taking care of the, you know, the more oxygen we have to the brains, the more cognitive capacity we have, the better everything kind of works out to be. So starting from that bottom up approach, those tiny things that we actually can control has an enormous ripple effect down the line as far as what actually comes out of our mouths, yeah. right? It's, it's all so connected, but yes, we, I do see that a lot. And so sometimes with witnesses where the mental health issues are on the, uh, the, the higher side of the spectrum, right? We may spend more of our time in the witness training going over things like some really explicit coping skills and working on, hey, how do you experience stress? How do you know when that's happening in the moment? What are you going to do when that starts coming up from you? Things like breathing exercise, things like, you know, I tell people a lot about, you know, kind of releasing that energy in your hands if they're under the table just these kind of really basic small skills that um, need to be tailored really uh, subjectively to each individual to really match the exact thing that they need so that they can survive and make it through a really stressful situation in the moment. Yeah. And they, they may need advanced professional help and yes. you, you and I can help detect when that's necessary and yes. when it's not necessary. Right. And we've had situ you've had this situation recently. I've, I've had it. You know, you have a witness that says, you know, um, in, in these discussions, yeah, I've had thoughts of hurting myself. Well, okay, yeah. now you got duty to warn issues, which by the way, it's it's the attorney's duty to warn if there is an issue there. These things do happen, right? Yes. And 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 you've got to be ready as the attorney. And I think that's just another way that we can we can help the uh the legal team um yeah. with some of these issues. And and let's end with this. And I really, really mean this. I know it to be true. And if anybody on this podcast wants to deny it, you're wrong. And I'm happy to debate you on this. The psychological health and functioning has a massive impact on the quality of their testimony and the eventual resolution or outcome of that case. Now, attorneys, particularly defense attorneys, don't go getting your panties in a wad. Going, oh, I'm the attorney. I, I, I prep my witnesses. I put a lot of time in prepping my witnesses. Well, if you have underlying psychological issues going on, prep them all you want. In fact, that's that's the number one call I get. I worked this guy for four days. He still sucks. Yeah. Gee, I, gee, I wonder why. And then I go in there, and then in a half a day, boom. And the, and the attorney's going, what the hell just happened? I'm like, dude, you... you <laughs> There are underlying things here 
that you never you never even assess because it's not part of your trade. And again, that's nothing against any attorney. But you know, I did now I do know this is this is true. I, in fact, I had somebody contact me. I had a trial attorney contact me the other day saying, Hey, I'd really like to set up a meeting with you and talk to you. I have an undergraduate degree in psychology. I met one with a master's degree in psychology, and then they went to law school. So they're like, they're like, I listen to your podcast and I see this whole process differently than my colleagues. I'm like, I know. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so defense attorneys and even planters, I mean, what we do here, we're, we're here to help you um, because I know many of these bad deaths. I, I get, I get sent videos. I get hired, unfortunately, right before trials. So do you, nothing's more frustrating when you haven't worked with this witness and they were deposed a year ago and they send you the videotape of the dep and it's a disaster. It's a disaster. And then my breakdown of that videotape 90% of the time is there was a mental slash emotional issue <laughs> that was not addressed and it ruined the testimony. Now I can fix it before trial, but I can't fix the videotape that they're going to play a trial maybe. And so folks, huge, huge, uh, benefits to having somebody um, on your litigation team that can do this for you and work as a team with you because, hey, what do you want? You you want the best testimony, you want accurate testimony, you want effective testimony, and you want a witness to come ac across as professional and confident. Well, a lot of things need to happen on the psychology level to make that happen. That's what we do. And uh, we're going to keep... Uh, fighting the good fight. So Ava, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. Fantastic. We're going to have you back and keep uh, doing this. I know, I know for a fact that you have um, started a paper on this issue. We're going to develop this issue into a seal yes. so we can go into law firms and listen, you're not going to hire us on every case. We get that. But there are, I, I, there, I know that there are several things that we could teach the attorneys as kind of a screening process. And then if you find trouble, you know, pick up the bat phone, right? Put the bat signal out, we can come in. But a lot of things that you're not doing right now um, um, that, that that you can do to make, to make things go much, much better, both for your witnesses and your case. So Absolutely. on that note, thank you everybody to our audience for participating in this edition of the Litigation Psychology Podcast. I am Dr. Bill Kanaski. We'll see you next time.